Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 66 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Cratch and Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media. They were at MetLife Stadium on Sunday afternoon. We're doing this podcast on a Tuesday, a couple days after the Giants' first loss of the season. 29-27, the Giants go down to the Washington Redskins, now 2-1 on the season. What a very difficult stretch of games. Coming up, we'll look ahead, we'll look back, and we'll talk about really what happened and really what really was a debacle of a loss considering where the Giants were early in that game. James, a couple days now in the aftermath of that game, I know you probably had a chance to go back and watch it. What stood out to you as the Giants, melt, uh, to me, kind of melted down in that game in a game they really had early on? No, they, they definitely melted down. I thought the Giants completely lost all composure in the second half. The penalties, you know, Dan and I kind of talked about this in our, in our video after the game. I thought Josh Norman and Odell Beckham were under control for the most part. And then, you know how last year when they played the Panthers, it was almost 10 on 10 with a one-on-one matchup between Beckham and Norman? It was almost like it was a one-on-one matchup between Beckham and Norman, and they were behaving, and at least on the Giants' side, the other 10 guys just were like in a proxy battle. They just lost it. I, I thought it was a really bad way for the Giants to lose golden opportunity for them to be 3-0, and and they just let it go because they just couldn't control themselves. They couldn't, and it felt like every single way, Dan, for the Giants to shoot themselves in the foot, they did it. And it's just amazing. You look back on the box score, some of the numbers, and you could see it forming throughout the game. But when you look up and the, you, know, you lose the turnover battle and you have all those penalties, it's, just, it's tough to walk away with a win, even in a game that they were leading by so much. Yeah, I mean, I did something on Monday morning where I recounted the 10 biggest self-inflicted wounds, and the fact that I was able to get the 10 is probably the most troubling thing for the Giants. I mean, that, that's a lot of self-inflicted errors. I mean, like you know, James touched on, the penalties were just killers. A lot of them came at crucial times. I mean, you go back to Andrew Adams' kind of mindless personal foul that, that negated a blocked punt. Uh, there was just so many of those types of plays. Olivier Vernon had a, a roughing the passer on the, the Redskins game-winning drive that, that you know, put them instead of having third and 14. They get a first down and, and down the field. Uh, it just on and on, and, and the turnovers continues to be a huge problem. Uh, I don't really understand how they fix it because it, it's been from the preseason. Uh, it's, it's your main guys. I mean, Shane Vereen and Eli Manning committing the turnovers. So uh, it, it's something that eventually is going to have to fix itself. You've got to figure or else you're going to see a lot more games like Sundays. Yeah, we will. James, how surprised were you about this? I mean, the first two games, the Giants, they were not perfect, but they won those close games. They got through games that maybe last year they would have lost. This game against the Redskins in Week 3, 
this felt like we were back in 2015 again. Yeah, definitely. I, w- I was a little bit – I mean, I was surprised in the sense that – I mean, people are not going to agree with me. I think the Redskins are a better team than the Cowboys and the Saints. So in that sense, I wasn't surprised that they got such a tough test. But, you know, in the second ha- – in the first half, they had two double-digit leads. I really thought, okay, this Giants team is for real. They're going to put the Redskins away. They're going to bury them at 3-0. and And then, as you said, same old, same old. I thought the defense was on the field a lot. I, I thought they played okay. You know, if the Giants defense, they're not going to be the dominant unit in all likelihood every week that they were against the Saints. So if they're going to have the Redskins set up for field goals and hold them to three, I think that's exactly what you want from this Giants defense this year. Some pass rush, some big plays. They still don't have a takeaway, which is a problem. But they're holding teams to three points. That's more than the Giants could ask for. But the offenses could not get in gear. They're settling for field goals in the red zone again. They couldn't put the game away when they had a lead. Eli with the two bad interceptions, and as we said, the, the composure, the penalties. So it was 2015 all over again. Uh, not time to panic just yet, I think, but there are some definite concerns, as you alluded to earlier. They're going into a very tough October. Things could get ugly in a hurry if they don't right the ship. Yeah, they could. Dan, for you, what's the biggest concern moving forward after this one? I mean, the Giants did do some good things. They did put up 27 points. They did... You know, they, they had a chance, again, to win this game. If they don't maybe throw that interception at the end, Eli Manning doesn't get picked. Maybe they go down and win the game, and we're having a different conversation right now. But they're all warts, even though they're 2-1. and one. What's the biggest concern for you right now? I think the biggest concern is sort of a growing concern is the injuries. Uh, we talked so much in the preseason and the first two weeks about how, you know, kind of lucky uh, the team had been to avoid any serious injuries. And it seems like they're making up for lost time now. I mean, that secondary could really be shorthanded next week because, you know, Darian Thompson's still going to be out. We don't really know about Eli Apple and uh, DRC, but definitely doesn't look good, uh, the early signs. So you're talking about losing you know, three of probably your four or five best defensive backs. Uh, that's, that's a big hole you're going to be put in. You're, you know, Trevin Wade got, got pressed into action on Sunday, and, and you, know, you saw why he's the fifth cornerback on the roster. Um, Nat Berhey flies around and, and is a force in the run game. But again, I don't know if he was necessarily to blame on uh, on Sunday for all those big plays, but you saw a lot more big plays with him out there than you did with Darian Thompson. Um, and then obviously the running back situation is concerned with you know, Shane Vereen out, if not for the season, for at least a long stretch uh, with a triceps injury. And Rashad Jennings, uh, the thumb injury isn't going anywhere. I and mean, he was kind of a surprise scratch on Sunday, but uh, you would think he'll be back on Monday. Uh, but, you know, Ben McAdoo wouldn't commit to that yesterday. So uh, I just think it's just, it's a thing that, you know, every NFL team deals with. Um, you know, the Giants were kind of lucky there early, but, uh, you know, things tend to even out, and, and now it's a concern. And, and the depth that, you know, is probably pretty thin is really going to get tested now. It will, and we talked about that in the preseason. Could they survive, you know, injuries and, and what where their depth was heading into this season? And uh, this is a challenge now, James, for Ben McAdoo. And really, this was his first tough moment, I mean, in terms of a win and a loss and in terms of the team not playing well and becoming unglued a little bit there. I mean, last year, James, you know it, Tom Coughlin would get beat up when there were games like this. He, and people would say, it's the end, it's over, it's time to move on. This feels like the first time Ben has to deal with this now. And obviously, it's not a situation where anyone's going to call for Ben McAdoo's job. But this is that first time where he took some blame for this, as he sh- I think he should. I was wrong to have the week six McAdoo questioning period. This, oh, that's right, now, that's right. Week three. Yes, I thought Ben, you know, obviously, you know, the, the big thing that's coming out of this thing is going to be Odell Beckham, his uh, emotions kind of running over on the sideline. I, I thought I was really surprised that, you know, Ben came out and 
basically said, yeah, it's a distraction and we have to fix it. I, I, I put up our film review on NJ.com. I, I know people have been talking about the fact that Giants completely moved away from the run game in the second half. I thought that was a little bit curious. Uh, you know, I understand there's some reasons why that they felt they had matchups attacking with the passing game downfield with, with Washington being banged up in the secondary, but still to run the, not run the ball at all over, I think the final basically 23 minutes of the game after you had averaged close to six yards of carry in the first 37 minutes. I, I don't really know how that adds up. I think you got to sprinkle a run in there here or there, but no, this is definitely a test for McAdoo. This was kind of the, you know, everything was flying high for the first two weeks. Now they, they've hit a major bump in the road and, you know, they have a very tough schedule coming up, so we'll see where this goes. But, you know, he's definitely got a little bit of heat on him for the first time. He does. And, I mean, that happens, right? It's his first loss there, and the Giants did not play well. Let's go to more towards the Odell Beckham distraction and what happened there on the sideline. The, the videos out there with the, the net, and he hits himself. He hits the net. The net comes flying back at him. Dan, did you feel like Beckham was a distraction watching from the press box? Do you feel like after the game, is any sense of that from his teammates? I mean, James just said what McAdoo talked about uh, earlier this week, but did you feel that watching the game, that Odell Beckham was a distraction for the football team? Uh, well, first, as far as the teammates, I mean, it didn't really kind of bubble up until McAdoo you know, basically called Odell out on his conference call yesterday, so we'll certainly get a chance to, to talk to the teammates this week. I mean, I don't think any of them will say it's a distraction, uh, but it is interesting that McAdoo and Eli Manning, you know, both – you know, had a chance to kind of get Odell's back and, and downplay it, and both kind of done the opposite, saying, I don't really, you know, Eli saying, I don't really understand why he was so upset. You know, we're moving the ball. Um, you know, again, McAdoo, you can easily have that conversation behind closed doors. He's not a dumb guy, so he clearly wanted to send a message to Odell. Now, was that the wisest move? I, I don't know. I don't know how he's going to respond to that because, again, this is a guy who's pretty sensitive to uh, his perception and everything like that. So for your head coach to be putting you on blast publicly like that, that could backfire. Uh, as far as was it a distraction, I mean, it's not good when your quarterback has to be you know, chasing you around the sideline to just calm you down because, I mean, listen, you're in the middle of a football game. There's adjustments that need to be made. You need to be looking at the pictures from the last drive, planning uh, the next drive. And for Eli to have to be you know, trying to console a guy who's on, you know, having an emotional breakdown, uh, that's not a good thing. But I, don't, I think a lot of the players just kind of understand that's who Odell is. Um, you know, he has said many times that he needs to play with that level of passion. I mean, that's debatable. I don't know if, what it, how it helps anything. But again, if that's what he believes, uh, it's obviously worked out for him uh, pretty well to this point. And, and we've all seen the NFL. I mean, he's certainly not the first wide receiver uh, to throw a tantrum about not getting the ball or about things not going well. So, uh, and the one thing I'll say is about Beckham, I, I don't think it really comes from a selfish point. I mean, obviously he wants to you know, play well and he wants to be getting the ball, but I think he is just really that passionate and just you know, goes over the edge when, when things aren't going well. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and the point you made there, Dan, about other, I mean, other receivers that have done this, we've seen Terrell Owens. And, I mean, T.O. also ripped apart locker rooms. I mean, I'm not saying that's the comparison, but just the emotion on the sideline. We've, we saw that for him. Des Bryant has done this in recent years. James, do you think that Beckham's emotions are really a big deal moving forward? I mean, last year against the Panthers was clearly over the top, and he was wrong. He got suspended for a game. I didn't sense the same at all type of, over-the-top attitude and, and really actions on Sunday against the Redskins. But obviously, because we're talking about it, Ben McAdoo uh, did feel there was something there that des- deserved speaking out about. First of all, I think it was a positive step that Eli and McAdoo, and I, I saw that on a TV broadcast, I think Rashad Jennings went over to him 
Because last year against the Panthers, that didn't happen. Everybody just stood there with the exception of wide receivers coach Sean Ryan, and they let Odell behave like a madman on the sideline, and we all know know what happened. So I think it was a positive step that the Giants actually tried to intervene and calm him down because last year they just – it was I, I still can't fathom the fact that no one thought to say, hey, maybe we should go tell this guy to calm down because he was out of control last year. I don't think he was at he definitely wasn't out of control on the field this time around. But, yeah, I, I think it can be a distraction. As Dan said, you know, you got, have guys who can't go speak to their position coaches or have to take their eyes off the game because they've got to go talk to him. And I, I just think overall. I agree with Dan. I don't think it's a selfish thing. I think he's a very intense competitor, but at some point. It's got to, you know, you have to have that energy has to be channeled in a more productive way that doesn't involve him. I mean, look, I know people are laughing about the, uh, the, the thing with the kicking net and it bouncing back. And he could have got a concussion. He could have had his, his head split open and, and needed 10 stitches and not been available for the rest of the game. I mean, stupid, stupid things lead to bad results more often than not. So, you know, I mean, how many times have you heard about the high school football player that gets fired up and throws his, you know, head bets his team, head butts his teammate, gets a concussion and splits his head open? You know, same thing could have happened there. It could have been disastrous. They could have not had Beckham available for the rest of the game because he had a concussion or because he ripped his head open. So you just can't be doing stuff like that on the sideline. And I think McAdoo really good step forward in talking to him and trying to calm him down. Good step forward that he was under control inside the white lines. But now they've got to tamp this down on the sideline as well. Yeah, I think that works with any part of a football team, right, James? You were talking there about a good process equals good results. You know, slamming your helmet against things is not a good process. Probably not going to lead to good results. And uh, to bring it back, let's talk about the defense uh, for a second here before we move on and look forward. Because now, and James, you've alluded to it, a very interesting stretch of games, a difficult stretch of games coming up. But to look at the defense, a couple things stood out to me. I think one of you guys, I, I saw it on NJ.com, obviously. Uh, one of you guys wrote it this week, but the number, I think it was you, Dan, that you had it in one of your pieces, talking about big plays the Giants gave up. First two games, they did not give up big passing plays, and I, I think you kind of put the number somewhere in the 20s, over 23 right. or so yards. And then on Sunday against the Redskins, there were five of those. So you talk about a team trying to limit points given up, trying to hold a big lead. Big plays down the field in the passing game was a problem last year. It was again on Sunday. Right, yeah, the, the stat was no plays uh, greater than 23 yards in the first two games, which is remarkable. It was the only team in the NFL to be able to say that. And then they had five, um, you know, 23-plus on Sunday. And obviously, you know, the result is what it is. And, um, you know, Deshaun Jackson is kind of it's kind of odd even when you go back to Janoris Jenkins' comments that all he does is, you know, run deep roots. Well, yeah, he's probably the best in the NFL doing it, so I don't know if that's really a criticism. And, he, you know, he burned the uh, – the Giants, I mean, not too many guys can have a two-play drive, um, you know, 75 yards receiving. Uh, so that, you know, that's what he does, and, and he got the Giants with it on that one drive. Probably the more troubling play was the uh, 55-yard touchdown to Jameson Crowder, where I believe it was third and 15. Redskins are basically just, you know, giving up, maybe trying to get a little field position for a punt, and all of a sudden everybody gets blocked up. I think it was Casillas and, and Trevin Wade missed tackles, and he's in the end zone. Uh, that was a killer. That, that was probably more of those 2015, just kind of a complete breakdown. And, uh, yeah, you just can't give up big plays like that, and that's why they had been succeeding. Um, the run defense is still, you know, extremely uh, stellar. You know, Damon Harrison to have 10 tackles in 43 snaps is just remarkable when you really think about it, especially a guy in that role who isn't necessarily supposed to get tackles. I mean, there's just nowhere to go uh, when he's on the field. Uh, but, like I said, that pass defense, definitely a question mark. 
uh, without Darian Thompson. And if you lose Apple and DRC for any amount of time, uh, I think you're going to see probably more big plays uh, going forward. Yeah, that's, that was a funny criticism by Jenkins there. It's almost <laughs> like it's almost like a base saying about a baseball player. Like, all he does is hit home runs. Well, home <laughs> runs are they're pretty good, and Deshaun Jackson does hit a lot of them. James, when you look at the defense, kind of add it together here for us. So we've had the first two games where they, they played well and certainly were much improved from last year. Sunday against the Redskins, a step back. Overall, should Giants fans feel good about this defense after three weeks, or is it still a question mark of how good they could be? I think it's a question mark. You know, we talked about this all summer. Starting 11, defense is very good. When you start to have injuries, there were depth concerns about this team. And I think, as Dan said, we're starting to see that. You know, Darian Thompson being out, hopefully the Giants hope just for, you know, a little bit while longer. Nat Burhe is a very capable player, but he's not as good in coverage as Darian Thompson is. You'll get cornerback. No DRC, no Eli Apple potentially. You know, one, thank the Giants have to be very thankful they brought Leon Hall in at this point. Because I think that while Trevin Wade's a guy, you know, Trevin Wade is a, a player who, if he's going to start on the outside, he's going to make plays. He's also going to give up big plays. That's just the type of player he is. He's he's capable of being out there. He's not. I mean, I don't think it's not like they're putting J. Ron Hosley back out there. I think Tre- Wade is a serviceable backup if they have to start him opposite Janoris Jenkins on the outside. But he's going to give up big plays. You have the issue potentially with the safety coverage. You know, you're going to have a very strong run game with Burhey, and he's going to blow some guys up. But he's going to make his plays in coverage, but he's also going to give up some plays in coverage. So I just think that if you have to look at this defense and say they have the ability to be good, but they've got to get healthy, because now we're starting to see what everyone has talked about, which is if this team takes on a couple of injuries on defense in some key spots, it's going to get thin with depth. And if they get one or more, two more injuries in the next couple of weeks, it could get really bad. It could, and the next couple weeks are not the weeks that you want to be going in shorthanded. A couple primetime games coming up here. Let's look forward. Dan, this is a difficult stretch. No matter how good or uh, we're not sure we are yet about how good the Giants are, the teams they're playing certainly look to be playoff contenders, if not teams we expect to be playing the first and second weekend uh, of January. You have the Minnesota Vikings coming up this week, and then after that, the Green Bay Packers. I mean, this, in terms of NFL back-to-back road games, it doesn't get much tougher than that. Yeah, absolutely, and especially two two tough environments, primetime games, and like I said, those teams are playing uh, really well. Uh, the Vikings, I think everyone kind of probably breathed a sigh of relief with some of the injuries they had, uh, but they didn't have any on the defense, and, and that defense is dominant right now. Uh, with some of the uh, struggles the Giants are having offensively, that's a concern. Uh, eight sacks uh, against Cam Newton, and Eli Manning is certainly no Cam Newton, so uh, he's going to have to get rid of the ball quickly. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that passing game comes together after uh, a lot of criticism that they weren't getting the uh, the big guns, the ball enough on Sunday. You need to just find a way to get the ball to Odell Beckham, Sterling Shepard, and Victor Cruz, and, and let, let Will Ty and the running backs, everyone else, go back to being you know complimentary pieces. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they're able to do that you know against such a formidable pass rush. Uh, but I think we looked at the schedule and said, I mean, I think we've said it many times on this podcast. This is a brutal stretch. Uh, James's dark horse pick of the Ravens, they look good if you look a little further down the road. And, and even the Rams, you know, after that first game looked like the worst team in the NFL, uh, they've turned it around. So, I mean, this, this next four weeks is going to tell a ton about the Giants. Uh, it's, it's the type of stretch that could really put them in a really bad spot, especially with how well some of the other teams in the NFC East are playing. So, uh, it, it definitely uh, makes that loss on Sunday hurt that much more because uh, they really need to have as much momentum as possible coming into this stretch. 
Yeah, you'd feel a lot different about this team if they were 3-0 and and would have some cushion heading into the stretch. They don't have that. They're 2-1. James, last December, the Giants went to Minnesota. Obviously, there's, a, there's some difference, differences there. I mean, you have Sam Bradford as the quarterback now. You had Teddy Bridgewater last year. Adrian Peterson there last year, not there now. But how, do we take anything from that game? Beckham didn't play either because he was on the suspension. Or is this a totally different environment, literally because of the stadium, and these teams are, are just some, are different now than they were? Or do you take something from what you saw last year? No, I don't think you can take much from last year because you said last year was kind of a perfect – I mean, Beckham was suspended. The Giants were eliminated from, from playoff contention the night before when the Redskins beat the Eagles. And I'm pretty sure the Vikings were in a situation where – I mean, obviously, they wanted to win the game, but win or lose, they were still heading into that Week 17 game against the Packers where they ended up winning the NFC North. So no one really had anything at stake. The Giants were, you know, had been beaten up for a week, complete disarray. You know, I, I think what I always remember from that game was the locker room after the game where you could tell that even if it wasn't being said, Tom Coughlin was done. That locker room was like a funeral, and you knew that, that the end of the Coughlin era had come and it was just going to be finalized the next week against the Eagles. And obviously that week kind of got sidetracked because of Chip Kelly being fired. But no, I don't think you can take much from it. This is a totally different Giants team. It's a totally different Vikings team. You said Sam Bradford, you know, Adrian Peterson. And this defense was really good last year, but they were banged up last year at the end of the season. This defense is healthy now. They are dominant. The Giants, as Dan said, eight sacks against the Panthers. Eli Manning has to get rid of the ball quick on Monday night. And it's what's going to be, I'm sure, a, a tremendous atmosphere, you know, being a primetime game in their new stadium. Because if he doesn't get rid of the ball quick, it could get ugly. It could. And Giants fans saw that last year uh, when the Giants were in Minnesota. Different circumstances, but clearly could happen again. All right, let's do a couple. We'll have three Twitter questions. You guys took to Twitter to uh, survey the audience, see if they wanted to talk about anything. So we have three good ones we brought back in. We'll end the podcast on that note. Looking forward. Uh, the surprise of the NFL, and a little bit on the play calling as well. All right, let's start because we're talking about this stretch here. Dan, question came in from uh, at New York Giants fans only. So this one's uh, obviously for people that listen to this podcast. Do we, and this is the question, do we, Giants fans, need to win one of these next two to stay competitive in the NFC? So do the Giants have to at least split these games, or is it still too early to say, you know, you got to walk away with one of these two games? Yeah, I think it's probably a little too early to say that because even if you lose them both, you know, you're still two and three. It's not like, you know, they're dead and buried at that point. But I think, again, the fact that I touched on and I think that question is getting to the NFC East looks like it's going to be a much tougher road uh, than we expected when all these quarterbacks were dropping like flies. So you certainly don't want to fall too far behind. I mean, they're in good shape with the win over the Cowboys. Uh, obviously, again, they gave one away against the Redskins, but um, there's still plenty of time left. I mean, I don't think anyone's really expecting them to win these two games. So if you're going to look at this and say the season's over, if they're two and three after uh, losses of two tough uh, road opponents, that'd be a little too drastic. So uh, obviously a win would be huge. A, a sweep, I think you'd be starting to to really go crazy about you know, the potential of this team. I don't think anyone's really expecting that. But no, I think it'd be a little a little over the top to say that you know one of these next two games are a must win. James, we'll jump to you for the next Twitter question. Realistically, how good are the Eagles? And should the Giants be concerned? I'll jump in before you do. I mean, I, I think, and I said this this past week and since Sunday, if you just fell into this NFL season and you knew nothing about anything, right? You never watched this, the league last year. You just were watching these teams so far this season. The Eagles have been the most impressive team in the NFL. They have the best point differential, most points scored, 
least points allowed. The quarterback doesn't look like a rookie. The coach doesn't look like a rookie. So based on three weeks, the Eagles look good. Clearly there's more to it than that. But James, your thoughts on the Eagles and should Giants fans be concerned that maybe there's a, a really good team in the NFC East that we didn't think was going to be really good here? Of course they should be concerned. I mean, I'm going to be completely honest. I called the Eagles a dumpster fire during the summer. I still kind of stand by that statement. I, they were a mess in training camp. And I'm sure people saw on Twitter when, when Elliot, our, our, our buddy Elliot, picked the, Steel, the Eagles to beat the Steelers, I basically just said, you're nuts. Um, the fact that the Eagles not only beat the Steelers, but the pants the Steelers at home, to me, I, I think the Steelers, I thought coming into this season, the Steelers and the Patriots were the two best teams in the NFL. The fact that they dominated the Steelers like that, they're, the Eagles are for real until they until Wentz falls off the face of the earth and they start losing games. And I don't see how that's going to happen anytime soon. You look at their schedule. I mean, they're on a bye this week at the Lions, at the Redskins, Vikings, Cowboys, before they get to the Giants. So they've got some tough games coming up. I'm intrigued to see how they handle these tough games, especially the road trips to Washington and Dallas. And Detroit's not a bad team either, I don't think so. Yeah, the Eagles are for real. Giants fans should be concerned. We're going to have a very interesting game to start November at MetLife Stadium, Giants-Eagles. I don't think anybody expected that going into the year. No, I don't, I don't think so either. And now you sit back and, and you watch the Eagles. And, Dan, for you, your thoughts on that team? I mean, I picked them to finish in last in the NFCs, even though there was that unknown there because they changed quarterbacks. But I don't think any of us could have imagined the quarterback, a rookie quarterback, even though he was the second pick in the draft, would play like this through three weeks with Carson Wentz. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much thought they were waving the white flag when you, you trade Bradford and, and decide to turn it over to a rookie uh, who was a little banged up in the preseason, if I recall. Uh, that, that might be the problem with him going forward. That guy takes too many hits for uh, you know a pretty skinny guy. Uh, he's going to need to learn to slide, get out of bounds, that type of thing, because that's something that could derail things for them pretty quickly. But, yeah, I mean, they're much better than I expected. I, I had no idea that their defense uh, could be this dominant. Um, we'll see if they can keep it going, but through three games, that that team, like you said, is, is you know the best team in football as far as what they've done on the field. I mean, obviously the Patriots might have something to say about that, but uh, the, the stats back up the fact that the Eagles team looked like they're for real. Yeah, they do, and it's going to be a fun NFC East ride with them now. Clearly, part of the mix at three and zero. Most teams that start three and zero go to the playoffs, so they have that on their side as well. Our one more here. It's it's kind of a combo question. We got two different questions on Twitter about the tight end usage, and really it's mostly about Ben McAdoo play calling, but um, one of them, what about the tight end situation? Seems like it has little to no impact in the receiving game. And then the second one was about the tight end and, and should the tight end be on the field inside the 35? Why throw to your fifth best receiver when going for the touchdown? James, we'll start with you. Then we'll go to Dan to wrap this up. You could take it specifically with the questions or just play calling in general, the tight end and McAdoo and what you thought, and especially on Sunday. Okay, well, inside the 35, I mean, Larry Donnell is a red zone target. I, I don't understand why you would not want Larry Donnell on the field down there. Look, we've said this many times on the podcast. I get Larry Donnell's faults as a player, the issues that he presents, the things he struggles with, but he also has the ability to make plays downfield in a way that I don't, you know, Will Ty also can make plays downfield, but Larry Donnell brings an element to the Giants' offense that they are not going to have if he's not on the field. In terms of the play calling, you know, we did this last year when, when Od- and Joe remember this when Odell wasn't getting a, a lot of targets mm-hmm. in the first half of the season. Eli Manning is a guy who he says all the time, 
He's simply going to take what the defense gives him. He's not never been a player, really, with some exceptions since I've been on the beat, that just starts forcing the ball to guys. You know, So if you're just expecting the Giants to basically just roll out three wide receivers every play and just throw the ball to only Cruz, Beckham, and Shepard, I think you're going you're gonna to be frustrated. Do the Giants need to maybe engineer their game plan a little bit to get the ball to those guys more? Sure, but... I think it's a little unrealistic just to expect McAdoo to tell Eli, all right, snap the ball and throw it to one of these three guys, and we're not going to put the other guys on the field. You know, Will Ty's made big plays for this team. Larry Donnell's made game-winning touchdown catches for this team. So th- those guys are going to be on the field. The Giants have – they like their tight ends. Ben McAdoo uses the tight end in his offense. I think you might see more of that now. I think with Shane Vereen being out for – extended period we thought season ending but who knows what the heck happened there I think you're going to see those guys get the ball more I know I'm intrigued to see is you know they kind of use Vereen short passes as kind of their their run game are they going to start to use guys like Cruz and Beckham and Shepard more on screen passes you know quick throws so I understand where Giants fans are coming from with the frustration they want the ball in the hands of those three guys Ideally, you'd get the ball in their hands more, but I don't think you can just say, okay, they just need to only throw the ball to these guys and not put the other guys on the field. Dan, your thoughts on the play calling through three games? And uh, Sunday was not a good one the way it ended, so that's why these kind of questions come in now. But do you think this is an issue, or is this just kind of an overreaction to a difficult second half on Sunday? I think it's probably a combination of both. I mean, James kind of, you know, touched on it all, that it's not a black and white thing. I mean, you can't say only throw it to Beckham, Cruz, and Shepard at the same time you'd rather see the ball going to them than will tie in the red zone. And, and it's easy to kind of pick on individual plays in that game. But I think one thing James touched on that I really agree with is you need to game plan to get the ball to your best players. You can't say, Oh, they're taking our best guys away. So we'll, we'll feed, you know, our fourth and fifth options. That to me uh, just doesn't add up. I mean, you, this is a short passing offense. They want to get these quick hits, take a couple shots down the field. Odell Beckham jr. I don't care. I mean, he has shown that he'll go up and get the ball against two guys. And I mean, there was a play, uh, on Sunday, it's tough when you screenshot a play and everything like this, but we saw it live because uh, Beckham was on the left sideline right in front of the press box, and he ran down the field, and, and Josh Norman must have seen something on film. He knew that uh, Eli was going to look over the middle of Sterling Shepard. Uh, no one covered Odell. I mean, and uh, Eli completed the pass to Shepard. It was the play where Norman got the personal foul, I believe. And so, hey, she- Shepard was open. You know, you moved the change with that pass, but, man, you have the best receiver in football running down the sideline uncovered. That's the type of things that leads a guy to, you know, throw a net on the sideline, I think. Uh, so I just think there needs to be a little bit more of an effort. I mean, again, you know, all these parts aren't created equally. So I understand there's progressions. I know it's not an easy job. It's easy for us to sit there and say, Eli, you missed Odell wide open. Well, he had guys, you know, coming in his face, and, and that wasn't his first read. But I, I just have a tough time with the fact that Odell has 30 targets. Antonio Brown has 40 targets for three games. I mean, that's what you need to do. You need to feed your best receivers. I mean, Victor Cruz had three targets on Sunday. Uh, you can kind of go on and on, and it's easier to do this after a loss, and obviously there were a few questionable play calls. But, yeah, I mean, it's obviously a balancing act, but I'm going to want the, the scales to tip uh, toward getting the ball to my best players. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think uh, all Giants fans would probably uh, listening to this would probably agree the same way. So Giants in Minnesota Monday night against the Vikings. You will be there. We'll be back next week for Episode 67 after that. And uh, the Giants will be 2-2 two and two and, you know, in trouble after two losses. It will feel differently. Or – They'll have a big road win against one of the best defenses in the NFL, and everyone will be jumping up and down again about the Giants and near the top of the NFC. James, as always, thanks for doing this. You got it, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe.
And thanks to all of you for listening to episode 66 of Talk is Cheap. We'll be back next week after the Giants-Vikings game. You can subscribe and listen on iTunes. Leave us a rating there. Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, any way you want to listen, you can listen to Talk is Cheap right here on NJ.com. <laughs>